Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana, and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Clara Shea as our guest today. She's the CEO of Salesforce AI and has an extensive background in machine learning and AI. And we love, we love to learn more about what's happening in the company and their, their AI strategy uh, from her. So Clara, to start off with, please tell us uh, about your career journey and you how you got to the role as the CEO of Salesforce AI. Sure, um, thank you so much for having me on the show. So from the very beginning, I, I got my bachelor's and master's degree in computer science from Stanford. And I started my career at Google and Salesforce actually two decades ago. And then I spent 11 years as an entrepreneur of a company, Hearsay Systems, that has a digital engagement platform for salespeople in highly regulated industries. And so throughout my academic career and entrepreneurship career, you know, coursework at Stanford, part of Hearsay's products, AI has always been infused in various degrees. And even the job that I came back to Salesforce to take, leading service cloud, you think about customer service technologies or Einstein bots, next best actions. AI was a very big part of, of service cloud or is a very big part of service cloud. And so this new role as a leading AI for Salesforce, it really feels like part of a natural evolution in my career. Oh, that's, that's very exciting. Um, now, you know, when we look at Salesforce and I've been following the company for over 15 years now, um, it has been one of the biggest disruptors in cloud application. And you know, now dominates sales automation, customer service. Um, you know, where are we on that journey in terms of that? You know, are we reaching a saturation point in growth or do we still have opportunities uh, for you to improve on that market share? You know, it's, it's amazing that after 24 years, Salesforce continues to disrupt the cloud's applications market. It's a company that continuously reinvents itself. And so, yes, we are the biggest CRM provider worldwide. The market is growing and there are still many companies for us to sell to. And you can look at our customer base. We have customers that might use us for sales cloud and marketing cloud, but not yet service cloud or Slack or Tableau or companies that might use service cloud for their support teams, but not yet Salesforce field service for their mobile workforce or our digital service, self-service and bot solutions. And for our existing customers, this is an exciting time because you know, really for everyone, AI is driving a tremendous transformation of the CRM category. And it's all based on trust and data, which is exactly the business that Salesforce is in and pioneered 24 years ago. You know, I, when I look at, uh, you know, AI and generative AI and, you know, the last one year or I mean, less than one year, chat GPT and generative AI has been the topic. That's all everybody wants to talk about. You know, how did that change the world of uh, enterprise applications um, in your view? And, you know, what kind of questions are you getting from your clients? Well, of course, I mean, chat GPT has gotten everyone in the world interested in, and engaged with AI from enterprises to my eight year old to my 80 year old neighbor and her knitting club. It's really sparked the public's imagination. Um, but I think in recent months, we're seeing it's also sparked an important conversation around data privacy, data security, and the risks that are inherent in large language models. And again, this really plays to Salesforce's heritage and strength. And so in terms of what, what I'm hearing from customers, it's really three things. You know, Number one is trust. How do we harness generative AI while ensuring the data security, data privacy, and ethical guardrails are there 
around our business. Um, number two is how do we use AI in ways that drive measurable business value so that it's not just a science experiment, it's actually rooted in business outcomes. And then number three is organizational readiness. You know, how do we mobilize our entire company around using AI, um, similar to what companies had to do in the 90s during the, the internet.com uh, wave? So perhaps we can t- take the use case of a particular customer and, you know, you don't have to name one, but, you know, if I'm a bank or if I'm a retailer and uh, I, I have um, all this data in CRM, you know, take me through a hypothetical example of what do I need to do to come to a point where I have a chat GPT-like, um, you know, application inbuilt in my CRM? Um, what are the different steps I need to take all the way from, you know, data, you know, to, to the end point? Salesforce AI is really three important pieces, just to answer that question. Number one, it starts with the data, to your point, right? And this is really the, the value and the power of our data cloud. And it's all the data that companies need to train and fine tune models if they want to have a custom model, although we're seeing many customers not go that route, um, as well as the data they need for grounding prompts, um, indexing all of their enterprise content, whether it's in silos or in various lake houses and data warehouses, it's the customer data that they have in Salesforce across marketing, sales, service, commerce interactions. It's their Slack conversations, and it's the the feedback data on which outputs are resonating with customers and driving business outcomes because it's that feedback data that drives the reinforcement learning, the continuous improvement of the models. And so that's step one, is getting the data house in order. Step two is our Einstein trust layer. And this is the area where we've developed the most in our platform, You know, grounding with data cloud to reduce hallucinations, citations, so that we know where answers are coming from and we can reference them later on. Data masking for personally identifiable information or anything sensitive or confidential. Um, zero retention prompts ensuring that all of the large language models, whether they're Salesforce research created or part of our curated ecosystem of pre-vetted models, that they are adhering to zero retention, meaning that none of the context that's provided in the prompt ever gets used or retained by the model as it, for training. Um, it's toxicity filters. It's, it's our audit trail so that we can see for every given output, what was the trail of inputs and prompts and grounding and model and timestamp that got us there for, for governance purposes. So that's step two is that Einstein trust layer. And then number three is AI in the flow of work. I mean, if you think about a customer service representative, for example, it's not reasonable to expect this person to copy and paste all of their chat history with a customer into a separate chat GPT window and then copy and paste the suggested response back in into their flow of work, replying back to the customer, right? It has to all fit together in a single cohesive UI. And that's how we drive adoption outcomes. And again, that feedback loop that continuously improves the models. Now that's that's very comprehensive. Perhaps we can start diving into the first piece of it, and that's the uh, the data cloud or the data piece of it. And, you know, in this particular case, I'm assuming your this is where your data cloud comes in, which helps, uh, 
customers aggregate data data from disaggregated places into a common data platform? Or you know, perhaps you could give us a little bit of background of what that product does. Sure. So data cloud is the place where companies can bring in all of their structured and unstructured data. Now we know that in in many of the enterprises that we work with, they have existing data silos. They might have one or multiple data warehouses, data lakes, lake houses. And the great thing about data cloud is that it interoperates in a zero ETL way with many of the leading providers out there, whether it's Google BigQuery or it's Snowflake, any number of these data stores. So it's really an agnostic view of where the data is. What's important is bringing that together in a, in a centralized way and combining that with the customer 360 unified profile. Because there's a proliferation of data, what makes the data relevant and insightful for generating AI outputs is when you bring in the customer context to know what products does this customer have? Is it under warranty? When do they buy it? What are their other interests? That's when you really personalize the outputs and bring generative AI to life in the flow of work. So within that framework, you know, if if I'm a customer, what are some of the reasons I would go for Salesforce Data Cloud and let's say not use either a Snowflake or the equivalent product that's sold by AWS or Microsoft? You know, what, what is kind of the uh, the reason for me to go with the Salesforce Data Cloud? As I mentioned, Salesforce Data Cloud interoperates with many of the leading lake houses on the market. The reason why customers use Data Cloud is because they have their customer 360 data unified and harmonized and, and ready to go and ready to action for any type of workflow for use in grounding prompts already and natively in Salesforce. And so having all the data you know, is important, but where it really comes to life is in the flow of work inside of a consumer assistant, for example, or in the flow of work for a customer service representative to use when they want to generate a case summary or for a marketing manager to use when they want to generate a landing page. They need all of that customer data, that context to have good outputs from the model. That's a fair point. I mean, in my view, that's a no-brainer then. The second layer you talked about was Einstein, where you are running some of those large language models. And, you know, I'm no expert in um, either large language models or the way some of these products work. But how can, how, how do you really get value out of it if the if the data is not retained by the large language model? Um, how, how does it learn and continuously improve itself if um, the system's not able to keep that data? Yeah, so zero retention prompts is essential for giving companies control over what data, under what circumstances, gets used in a data pipeline to train or fine tune a model. And so by default, it's zero retention. What we do capture though, is the feedback loop of when outputs are generated. First, whether the end user chooses to use the output and edit any edits that they make. So I'll give you an example. If none of the salespeople in a company ever use the generated email, from, uh, from a particular prompt, we know that, th- that the, either the prompt, there's something wrong with the prompt, or there's something missing in the grounding. So that's an extreme example. On the other hand, if the email generated is always used or often used and it drives good outcomes, namely the prospect opens the email, they reply, it results in a meeting, 
It results in the sales opportunity advancing stages. Then we know that that's good feedback. And so that, that is used in a data pipeline for the reinforcement learning, for the fine tuning of the model. So it's really about giving companies control over when and which types of data gets used for training versus that, that training happening accidentally and resulting in a data leakage. So when we look at the entire portfolio of uh, Salesforce applications, um, you know, is there a way you can uh, give us an idea of which ones will be more impacted by uh, generative AI um, and which ones would be the least impacted by? You know, the incredible thing is if you look across the Salesforce portfolio and really across the technology landscape, generative AI is transformational for every aspect, every layer of the stack, every department, every role, every use case. And so just some of the areas that we've we've recently delivered out into the market, we have customers using service GPT, having GPT generate suggested responses to customer questions and issues that come in and either through self-service or through a service representative, taking that suggestion and making edits before sending it back to the customer. Um, service GPT also has work summaries. So at the end of the case, instead of having to sit down and remember the full set of conversations and start from scratch, we generate a draft summarizing the full set of interactions, again, for the service representative to edit and finalize before clicking save. Um, knowledge articles is another great example. There are instances when there are new types of questions that a customer will ask that haven't been answered before. Maybe there's an emerging issue, emerging an emerging incident, and we're able to capture that knowledge that gets created for the first time by the, the service representative, save it, and then now the whole team gets better and can benefit from that. So that's service GPT, sales GPT, sales prospecting email generation. Um, you look at you know, what a pain point this is for, for salespeople. We did a study of over 8,000 sellers and a majority of them are spending over 70% of their time, 70% of their time today on non-selling administrative activities, updating records, looking up records, sitting down to write emails. Generative AI has tremendous potential to automate a lot of these admin activities to, so that we can free up our sellers' time to get out in the field, spend more time actually meeting with customers. So it's a great example there. Um, Commerce GPT, we just launched that a few weeks ago. Uh, GPT generated product um, descriptions and product recommendations. So on and on. So across every Salesforce cloud, we are bringing generative AI features into the product, into the UI, into the flow of work. You know, I, I must uh, say that a few years ago, I think five, six years ago, I don't remember the exact time, but um, Dreamforce New York, I saw the big Einstein demo and, you know, everything around it. Uh, how exactly, you know, is Einstein different from anything chat GPT? How do I differentiate between the two? Yeah, so Einstein is, is really what, what I just talked about. It's the enterprise trust layer, it's data cloud, and it's also... Um, it's, it's AI in the flow of work. Instead of a chat box and a blinking cursor, it's the service agent console. It's Slack, where you're collaborating with your teammates. It's sales, sales cloud, where you're reviewing your accounts, contacts, and opportunities. It's in context in the flow of work. Kind of like any enterprise application today uh, works 
for the end user. And then in addition, that end user might also use Google search, might also use enterprise search. You know, one of the things that has always fascinated me in uh, some of these things is can some of these technologies actually cannibalize your existing businesses? And, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you were part of Service Cloud before. We have done a fair amount of work on this, uh, on Service Cloud over the last several years. And in fact, we used to say that, you know, Salesforce should change its name now to Service, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, instead of sales, but because of the size of the, the product is so big right now. And during the pandemic, we saw big increases in revenue. But to me, will it not cannibalize the products that are sold? Because I think they're priced on a per user basis or per customer service rep basis. Um, how do you respond to that? You know, what's amazing is AI is, we're not seeing it cannibalize our products. We, we actually see customers buying more seats and more products as a result of our AI products. And you know, from a business model standpoint, part of our portfolio for years now has been on consumption pricing. Data Cloud is a great example of that. And so I see these seat-based products and consumption-based products coming together to create a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts and addresses different needs in the organization, right? We call it our customer 360 flywheel. You know, from that point, uh, and again, there are so many products in uh, Salesforce, with, especially with the acquisition of Slack. You know, does it change the way you integrate Slack across the entire product portfolio, or does Gen AI actually accelerate it? What how, what should we think about Slack and all the other products a few years down the road? Well, it really is amazing, isn't it? That Slack as the conversational collaboration platform for companies, it's, it's really a natural UI for AI. And it's even better than ChatGPT because with Slack, it's not just an individual, it's teams of people, you know, any combination of people, both within the company, as well as with Slack Connect, you can collaborate with people outside of your company and other organizations. And so I think companies being able to use Slack as the UI for AI and then tap into their trusted customer data, all of the, the tacit knowledge that's been built up in that company over many years that's, that's in Slack. And then to be able to access this knowledge in a collaborative way through natural language, I think it's incredibly powerful. And it means that every employee in that company can work smarter and, and make smarter decisions and, and not have to ask the same questions that, that have been answered many times already in that company. So should we expect, uh, you know, you to launch more co-pilots down the road? And I mean, you've already mentioned a few that are out uh, there. Um, but and, and at that exact point, you know, Microsoft has uh, given a clear strategy as to if this is what office costs, the co-pilot would be, you know, X amount after that. Is that something similar we should see from your products as well? Or do you have a different monetization strategy? You know, it depends on the use case. And in some cases, co-pilots and these assistants make sense in terms of, again, it's more of an open-ended chat experience, similar to search. In other cases, in certain roles, the jobs to be done are more prescriptive. They're more sequential. You know, answering a customer support ticket is a great example. And in those cases, the best prompt might be no prompt, right? It might be generative AI and predictive AI embedded into a button or into 
a component on a on, on the desktop. Right. So that's that's really how we're thinking about it. Is that is we we're providing multiple different ways of interacting with the AI depending on the job to be done, depending on the nature of the task. Fair. And, you know, Salesforce is one of the very few companies in the application software world that also has a platform as a service product. And I would love to dive a little bit there as to what have you done in that space um, in terms of AI infusion that can help productivity and would love to have any examples that you may have. I'm so glad you brought that up because that that really is has been the secret sauce behind Salesforce is the Salesforce platform and the App Exchange ecosystem. And so we are bringing that same platform ecosystem approach to cultivating and and building out our AI stack, both for partners, ISVs, developers, SIs, as well as our customers. Our customers want to bring their own creativity. They have ideas for generative AI apps that they want to build. Some of them are CRM related. Some of them aren't, and they're looking to us to be able to do that on our platform. What about you know all these uh, coding you know uh, co-pilots that we're hearing either from Microsoft or Amazon? Should we expect uh, you know Salesforce to have similar uh, coding uh, co-pilots in the future as well? Yes. Yeah, so Salesforce announced Apex GPT, which is our programming language, Apex and code generation, test snippet generation, comment generation through our own Salesforce research domain-specific model called CodeGen that is trained and fine-tuned specifically for Apex code. So we have that. Um, it's, it's coming soon, and it's in pilot currently. See, one of the things we talk about, and as I said, I've followed Salesforce for a very long period of time. It has been an amazing year for Salesforce in terms of margin expansion and so much of you know, cost saving and um, the the what the investors are asking for. But when you look at the Gen AI workloads, the amount of money that's required to run those, the R&D, how, how will you as a CEO balance both those things out? Because you would need, you know, a lot of money for the processing power and yet you have to, you know, show some margin expansion. I would say this year has been, it's been an adjustment year for the entire tech industry, right? We all were on this pandemic high, many companies, probably every tech company that I'm familiar with, probably overhired. We've gone through that correction. And now at the same time, we're seeing tremendous and really unprecedented demand for AI. So I think having gone through that correction, we're now focused on hiring, building out our AI teams, continuing to invest there. And while doing that, continuing to, to operate as an efficient company. So should we expect, you know, greater partnerships with hyperscalers down the road in terms of to, um, you know, optimize costs or uh, you think you have enough budgets to take care of it on your own? We, we have more than enough budget to innovate. We, that, that's how we've been able to deliver so much. We also have partnerships with a number of different players in the ecosystem. So when, you, when I look at these startups like OpenAI, Anthropic or Cohere, you know, are they a threat to Salesforce? Um, how do you think they coexist with the, you know, your legacy product portfolio? I think that of the ecosystem as highly strategic. I mean, first of all, the pie is growing so fast and there's new layers of, of this yet unknown AI stack that are continuously emerging, it seems like every few weeks. So there's nothing but opportunity. And I think when the pie is growing, a growth mindset, a growth mentality versus a scarcity mentality is more appropriate. 
The other thing I would say is that when it comes to AI, as we talked about earlier, it's all about data gravity. And the data gravity that Salesforce has that we've earned over the last 24 years, all of our trust infrastructure, our Einstein trust layer, data security, data privacy, and the entire customer 360 data flywheel, that's really why other companies want to be a part of our ecosystem. Just, I'm curious, I've, I remember the customer 360 big push after the MuleSoft application. You know, how is that developing now? Because I remember, in, you know, early on, MuleSoft was an on-premise product, and I, I do not know how that's integrating with your uh, data cloud at this point. It's very closely integrated. Um, so MuleSoft continues to have an on-premise version. They also have a fast-growing cloud version of MuleSoft, and it's highly strategic because think about MuleSoft connecting all of a company's enterprise application silos, as well as their data silos. That data goes into data cloud. It gets visualized and analyzed through Tableau. And any of the insights and content creation and LLM reasoning and workflows that we might want to decision in action now can operate not just within Salesforce applications, but across all of the applications connected through MuleSoft. Great point. And, you know, when the, one of the biggest things we are now talking to, uh, you know, companies like yourself is the whole world of AI ethics. How does that play into your generative AI strategy? And uh, what are some of the steps you're taking to, uh, you know, be a leader in that uh, space? You know, ethics is the first thing that comes to mind for us. I mean, because trust is the number one value of the company. And trust is both data security and data privacy. It's also ethical guardrails, especially when it comes to technologies like AI. For years now, we've had our Office for Ethical and Humane Use of AI. And Paula Goldman, she's our Chief Ethics Officer. Partnering with Paula and team is part and parcel of how we bring our products to market. And so all of the guardrails, all the guidance across our products to help our customers and our partners innovate responsibly. So that Einstein trust layer I described earlier, that was developed in close partnership with Paula's team. And um, if you think about the, the, the principles that we use, accuracy, safety, honesty, empowerment, sustainability, these are principles and practices that we've also open sourced and we've shared with the broader community. And I'm excited to share a number of startups and the ISV partners that we're working with they've also adopted these same AI ethics principles as they build products in the space. So you have an extensive background in the uh, AI space. Uh, you know, all of this really started in the last six to nine months, uh, maybe a slightly longer, um, to a space of massive acceleration. I mean, AI has been around for a long period of time. But it's, as you look at over the next two to three years, how do you see the world evolving, you know, whether it's at Salesforce or even outside, where do you think we're going to see the biggest impact? I think a lot of customers are wanting to start in customer service, but there's also plenty of customers that want to start with sales GPT or marketing GPT or Tableau GPT. So it's really across the board and probably dependent on the industry, on that particular company's needs and what their priorities are. But I just say businesses need AI more than ever. And it's, but it's a long road to get from a prototype and a chat GPT window to answering all of the 
data security, data privacy, ethical guardrails, and then the organizational readiness that's required to actually operationalize AI into every department, every job. So I think that's a big part of the work that's going to be done in the coming years. The other change I think we'll see is that a lot of the silos that have traditionally persisted in organizations, I think we're going to start to see those go away. Um, data silos, just because when you have siloed data, it doesn't it prevents the AI from being effective. So I think companies will really feel that pressure much more than ever before to bring their data together. And again, hence um, the, the popularity and, and the growth of our data cloud. I also think that job silos and department silos will go away. I'll share one of our customers, they're a global retailer. They deployed service GPT to their customer support team. And the GPT reply recommendations have been very effective at helping their service advisors, even very newly hired ones, be able to resolve customer issues much more quickly. So the average handle time has gone down. But rather than that ending the call or that ending the interaction, we've seen something amazing, which is that a growing number of these service advisors, they started to become sellers. <laughs> they've started to take the extra time and instead of hanging up, they've deepened their connection with the customer. They've asked more questions. They've introduced additional products that might be similar. And this is where they're even using predictive AI in the service console to help provide those next best offers and, and product introductions. So it's pretty amazing that you know generative AI could mean that we're no longer pigeonholed into a specific job doing the same mundane set of tasks day in and day out, but rather that each of us can take on more tasks. And it kind of reminded me of, of the matrix, of Neo in the matrix, when he gets uploaded a new skill and suddenly he knows Kung Fu. That's kind of how I felt about these support agents. All of a sudden they became sellers. They never went through any training for that, but the AI helped them become their best. You know, one of the biggest questions we get from, uh, you know, people and investors and uh, other, otherwise also is when you look at all the product portfolio of Salesforce, it, it is the pioneer for all these cloud-based applications. And I always wonder whether something like an AI would accelerate the adoption of cloud-based products, um, especially for those people who haven't, uh, you know, adopted it. But it seems to me when, when you look at some of the products that Salesforce uh, sells, you know, in sales automation, the cloud penetration rate, in my view, has to be very high. When you have done, you know, work uh, since, you, since you were uh, part of Service Cloud, what portion of the world still lives on premise versus on cloud and whether you think AI will, will accelerate that shift? I don't have the exact numbers, but you're right. It is a shockingly high number of, of companies that are still working with, with certain, at least a part of their portfolio that's on-premise. AI is really one of those watershed moments where it's it creates that pressure, right? All the more reason, if there's ever been a big business case, it's really been now to move to the cloud, to have that cloud federated view of all of your enterprise content, your data, your customer 360 profiles, and to be able to, to harness one of the most powerful automation and personalization um, technologies of our lifetimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that kind of on the on the scary side is 
what's going to happen to some of these jobs? Because one of the, you know, if, if, if I can talk to a chatbot and be done with it, or if one salesperson is far more productive than, um, you know, hiring more, does it mean that we, sh- we are not going to see hiring in the tech landscape over the next few years? Or for that matter, how does it impact the tech, the, the jobs landscape in the non-tech, uh, you know, uh, industries? That is a very important conversation to have. It's, it's something that I've been thinking about for years, even, even before generative AI. I believe it's a net positive, but AI is a big change and change is always hard, right? And I think about the early days in the internet when companies bought their first PC or they first connected to the internet. You know, at first, the fax machine stayed, the filing cabinet stayed, but then work dramatically shifted. And people who didn't think that they needed to type before and could just dictate to secretaries, all of a sudden they had to learn how to type. And so we, we have to embrace a growth mindset and we all have to learn new skills, just like we had to learn how to do Google searches 20 years ago. Um, but I think net net, this is gonna be a positive. We're gonna enhance productivity for every employee. We're gonna make jobs more satisfying because we'll be able to automate the mundane. New jobs will be created, right? Some jobs will go away, but new jobs will be created New industries and new roles will emerge around AI, and we can't even foresee all of them just yet. But we know that it's going to happen. Yeah, no, that that is absolutely, um, you know. So, you know, in your view, what all other things can you see AI bring about in either your portfolio? or in your surrounding portfolio that can be a net benefit for Salesforce, either top line or bottom line? Well, already we've been using AI to be more efficient as a company. You know, we use, we've used AI developed by our Salesforce research team in DevOps um, for years to make it more efficient, to have better uptime and reliability. And we use it to develop our own software. We use um, Apex CodeGen to do that. And so that certainly the way we work is very important. And then the products that we're building, we're, we're using AI to, to really transform every existing Salesforce cloud, as well as our platform. We're looking at new product categories potentially to enter that couldn't have been possible prior to the proliferation of these large language models and these new technologies. So we're looking at new products and then um, you know, further, you know, super long time horizon, our research team continues to continuously experiment and they have a number of areas that they're working on that we're continuously evaluating which pieces are ready to graduate into the product and for us to take to market. Great, Clara, this has been a good discussion. So my final question in this, um, you know, today's episode is if you were to stack crank you know, don't even need to name any company and say, if I was to look at a company or a business model, what are the three or four attributes that you would want to see, which would enable you to say, okay, this is a company that will succeed in AI. What are some of those, uh, you know, key attributes are and how do you even rank them? Oh, that's such an interesting question. To succeed in AI, number one is it starts with the data center of gravity. And because data is so important, every step of AI from training, fine tuning, to grounding, to the feedback loop for reinforcement learning. So that's number one. Number two, which is closely related is customer trust. Because for AI to work, there needs to be a lot of transparency. There needs to be trust. And 
know, customers need to know that they're not the product and that the customer's data is the customer's data. And um, we, we, for example, take accountability for the accuracy and security of our customers' AI. So I think that's going to be really important. And then third is agility. All of this is changing so fast that in order for companies to succeed, regardless of industry, they're going to have to be willing to move forward, experiment, and continuously change and adapt, knowing that we can't have a five-year plan like we used to. We can't even have a three-year plan. We can, we can barely have a one-year plan because the underlying assumptions are, are continuously changing and for us to get comfortable with that. Got it. Uh, Clara, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time and uh, look forward to catching up with you again. Thank you for having me.